Oh, oh, welcome to the Electric Liberty Land, episode number 155 pre-roll. Yes, guys, hello, hello. Uh, you may have heard it already, but we are doing a very special promo in 2019 that will expire on December 24th. Yes, Christmas Eve. But up until then, you can still get in, become a member of our Patreon for $10, and you will get the brand new Taxation is Death mug that is holiday-themed with a Lions of Liberty logo with a beautiful Santa hat and a Merry Taxation is Death note to the state, mocking them. You join at a level of $15, you get the mug, and you get a Lions of Liberty holiday beanie. And on top of all that, just for joining, you will also get entered into our raffle. We're going to be auctioning off for all of our Patreon members, for all of our uh, our new members. You're going to get raffle tickets to get a holiday package from us, which includes coffee, includes the mug, includes a t-shirt, a hoodie, all this wonderful stuff. All this wonderful Lions of Liberty stuff. So go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, but make sure you sign up before the 24th. We will be doing the drawing and then announcing the winner on Christmas Day's Electric Liberty Land. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, what's happening out there? This is Brian McWilliams, as the lady said, and this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 155. Go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL155 for all of the show notes for today's episode. And actually, I know this is airing the week before Christmas, but I'm actually recording three podcasts today. I have to do this one, bang this one out, then jump on the Mark's uh, Naughty and Nice podcast that's going to be airing on Monday. Then we're doing my a very ELL Christmas podcast right after that, which by the way, you do not want to miss. Going to be a very fun time. Little little something uh, I like to call Liberty Krampus is going to make an appearance, guys. That's all I'm going to say. You got to tune in. Typically, a lot of people, you know, they're busy on Christmas. They got things going on. They're spending with family. They don't have time to download and listen to the best libertarian podcast in the world. That being, of course, the Lions of Liberty podcast and my show specifically. <laughs> but God damn it, you should. Uh, it's going to be a very drunk episode though. So I can't say there won't be cursing. So, you know, don't play it around the kids or the in-laws, get a little Bluetooth, pop it in, go into the kitchen, make some cookies, cut up the, the prime rib, cut up the Turkey, whatever you got to do, keep that earbud in. So you get a little bit of Liberty joy during Christmas, but anywho, we are here and we have got to discuss a few different topics. Number one. I did talk about it a little bit last show, but the uh, the Inspector General's report, I've gotten to go a little bit more into that now, and yeah, it just it is painful to watch the responses to this report, especially from the goddamn FBI. Because in the last show, I said, well, the FBI is saying that they were right to surveil Carter Page, but the more we're seeing from this, this Inspector General's report, the more that's even false. Fundamentally false. Because Carter Page... He is this guy that's already working with the CIA, by the way, already is in contact with the Central Intelligence Agency. They already said, OK, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we know what you're doing. He's up keeping them up to date. He's telling them who he's meeting with to make sure that this bullshit doesn't happen 
And then the FBI goes around the other way. Whether or not they knew that the FBI was working with or the CIA was working with them, I, I have no idea. I feel like that could be something that was easily discovered. But they certainly didn't put forth any effort to tell the FISA court that he had already been in touch with the CIA, that he was in, co- in total compliance with the CIA. No, no, no. They decided they wanted to go around the back way, that they wanted to use this salacious dossier of information, this unsubstantiated document created by opponents' opposition research, and put that forward as the reason that he had to be surveilled and the reason that he had to be thrown under the bus. Because you remember Carter Page, this guy is now basically gone from a position of very well-respected, uh, you know, former, I think, military man working for Donald Trump, one of the two major presidential candidates, even if it's on a low level, the guy's still doing political work, which is worth something in today's uh, era, especially if your candidate gets elected. Now he's viewed by half of the country as some sort of goblin that must be opposed at all costs that you can't hire. And this, by the way, comes on the heels of a nice little study I read. They did a poll and one in five employers now would refuse to hire a Trump supporter. Now, this is in the era wherein companies often look at people's social media posts. They often will go through your Instagram, your Facebook, uh, your Twitter feeds to see where you stand on issues, to see what your kind of uh, what your opinion on life, uh, liberty, and justice might be, and then use that against you. Now, I understand that from a liability standpoint, you might say, "I don't necessarily want this person representing my company if they uh, if people can Google them and see that he went out there and said that perhaps." Something along the lines of, oh, well, Sheryl Crow is still the hottest pop singer. Nobody wants that. But for people now to say, well, I would never hire somebody that's a Trump supporter is just uh, goddamn ridiculous. I mean, it shows you where we've gone as a society. Where, and I want to get into this with the Boris Johnson stuff in a moment, too. But now that now that we know that that half the country will identify anybody that voted for Trump as a racist, as a bigot, as some sort of person that is irredeemable in the eyes of society. Of course, this is the natural progression. And who's to blame for this? Well, the media to a large extent, social media to a large extent. But it's kind of like the Ouroboros that eats its own tail. You've got companies that go on social media to see if they should hire somebody. Meanwhile, social media is to blame for people being such horrible pieces of shit to each other online that they feel that they need to go out and post these ridiculous comments. I mean, goddamn, I can't remember people posting about politics even 10 years ago. It didn't happen. Getting off on a, on a tangent here. Circle back to this whole inspector general's report. But you know, there's a great uh, article that Glenn Greenwald put together and, and Glenn, Glenn Greenwald for what you might think of him on various topics. Cause there's some, which I definitely don't agree with him on. He's been excellent on this whole Trump-Russia collusion nonsense, and he continues to be. So he went through this, this inspector's report, and he pulled out, you know, all the instances where the inspector's report specifically highlights, like there was one point that said seven different times that the, uh, the FBI made mistakes. Actually, just let me read you a couple excerpts here. The specifics cited by the IG report are even more damning. Specifically, based upon the information known to the FBI in, in October 2016, the first application contained seven significant inaccuracies and omissions. Among those, quote, significant inaccuracies and omissions, the FBI concealed that Page had been working with the CIA, as I mentioned earlier, 
in connection with his dealings, notified case managers of at least some of those contacts after he was approved as an operational contact. So he was approved as a contact. The FBI lied about both the timing and substance of Page's relationship with the CIA, vastly overstated the value and corroboration of Steele's prior work for the U.S. government to make him appear more credible than he was, and concealed from the court serious reasons to doubt the reliability of Steele's key source. So, <laughs> this is on top of, you know, as we know, the FBI took the Steele dossier. We know it to be opposition research. They know they had they had their own doubts about Steele and, and, and his uh, ability to be trusted as a resource. They know that he is outwardly anti-Trump. And by the way, this, this fucking asshole, Crystal Steer, he's still being quoted in Guardian articles. He's still a go-to resource for this, despite the fact that we know this is all lies. We know this is all manufactured opposition research garbage. But yet, the Guardian, which is basically Huffington Post in the UK, goes to him for reports on Boris uh, Johnson and opinion on this. The man is a fabricator. He is a liar. He's a spy who's turned from spying into pure fiction writing. Goddamn bullshit. So getting back to this, another uh, in the Instagram report, here's another quote. We found the FBI did not have information corroborating the specific allegations against Carter Page and Seals reporting when it relied on his reports of the first FISA application or subsequent renewal applications. And again, to remind you, the FBI leaked FBI sources leaked the Steele dossier to the media so that the media would report on the Steele dossier coming from the FBI, saying that that was a fact. The FBI then reported that the media had reported on the on the dossier, saying that, well, you see, independent sources are reporting this. It's clearly been verified if they're talking about it and use that to get more warrants. Just, it's so ridiculous. Okay. Uh, one more quick thing. Not only this, you know, they had these seven inaccuracies and omissions, but added 10 more later in 2017. In the, as the report put it, in addition to repeating the seven significant errors contained in the first FISA application, we identified 10 additional errors in three renewal applications based on information known to the FBI after the first application and before one or more of the renewals. Again, one of the new significant new acts omitted the fact that Steele's primary substance resource had made statements raising questions about the reliability of the allegations. Uh, she didn't recall, he, she didn't recall any discussion concerning WikiLeaks and that there was nothing bad about the communications between the Trump and the Trump team and that she never reported to Steele that she had, that, or that Carter Page had met with a session, I guess it was like a lawyer. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to go through all these. It's too, there's, it's too long. There's too many. The point being, the FBI has clearly been exposed as just creating nonsense out of thin air and then, well, not creating, taking nonsense created out of thin air and then using that same nonsense to surveil a American citizen who was legally operating and who already had permission from one of America's top spying organizations to go about his business as somebody, I can't remember the, uh, the phrase I said earlier, but a, a uh, approved operational contact, right? I think that was it. And then you've got, Horowitz coming out here and saying, well, uh, Carter Page, he, he was, uh, you know, right to be to be surveilled in the way he was. But we can see that this is just him bending over backwards to try to excuse the actions of the deep state and not throw this entire thing under the bus and admit that we have no one keeping us safe here. We have no justification for keeping these organizations around when they are obviously corrupt. I mean, we're talking about a goddamn presidential election here. 
we're talking about a potential coup attempt here. I would say it was definitively a coup attempt here. We're talking about two years. The entire American populace focused on this, this created fabrication that the FBI willingly pushed forward and tried to convince everyone that it was fact, including secret fucking courts in America that are allowed to spy on people for the president of the United States. The entire FBI should be disbanded over this, period, period. I mean, I know we, we all love the X-Files. We all know what Skulder and Moly are going around there or Mulder and Scully are, you know, looking into uh, lightning bugs and trees that eat people. That's good. It's good to know someone's out there looking for werewolves. But at the same time, I, you know, I can buy my own silver bullets. As my dog jumped down chingling during the podcast. Thanks for that, Chloe. I can buy my own silver bullets. I'd much rather buy my own silver bullets and defend myself than know that there are organizations going around behind my back doing this kind of shit to Americans and not only just everyday Americans, but people that are prominent Americans running for public office. Absolute insanity. And now you've got James Comey coming out here and saying that, you know, he's been uh, he's been. Right all along, and that the good the good people at the FBI have been right all along. And there's like some 95 year old former FBI head writing about how they have the rule of law at their at their closest to their breasts, and they just tell you know, their their uh, man titties are dripping the sweet milk of liberty. Bullshit! Bullshit! You old clown! If you had any any sort of real vindication as far as the tenets which the FBI was ostensibly found on, you would damn everyone in this organization. You would call for a massive ouster of every person in power and an immediate, if not termination of the entire agency, an immediate deep, deep look at every personal file, at every action that's ever been taken in the FBI and just push through a massive purge. But of course, we know that won't happen. Because the deep state can't bring attention to itself and can't have Americans questioning whether or not we need these organizations that have to power and don't want to relinquish even a smidgen of it, that they've grown exponentially from what they initially were founded to do, which it was questionable in its own right. I mean, I could get where we might need information, especially in the digital age. We might want to see what our friends and allies are doing, spy on them. I'd rather have spies, I guess, than, uh, than warplanes. But at the same time, we see what happens unchecked power like this, even if it's even if it's supposed to be checked by, you know, what is it? God, the, uh, what's the name of the committee or the commission that oversees this, the deep state. They've got a specific name, the intelligence commission or whatever like that. You've got these, these commissions that exist. Meanwhile, it comes out that the CIA has been spying on Senate members constantly. It comes out that the FBI is doing this nonsense with FISA courts and spying on Trump. It's just, there is no reason to keep them around anymore. And that Horowitz knows to open this up and to admit wrongdoing by the FBI would allow every American to go, okay, that's enough of this. And it's good to see that media darling James Comey, following in the footsteps of John Brennan, CNN contributor John Brennan, known liar, it's good to see that James Comey also has gotten a little bit of come up. It's because he was just on Chris Wallace and uh, he, you know, Wallace pulled no punches. He went after him and Comey tried to dance around it like the little snake piece of shit he is, but he nailed him on this, you know, the steel dossier of one of many things exposing what he said versus the reality of the situation as reported in Horowitz's report, which Comey said was 
vindicating the FBI using that Insta, using I would say Instagram reports. I think IG in my brain. Using that Instagram report on how to apply your makeup to get the perfect duck eyes or whatever the fuck they are. But no, seeing Comey try to defend the dossier and then, you know, Wallace calls him out. He goes, you said that the dossier was central to the FISA applications. Because, of course, that's the way the FBI positioned at the time. And then to hear Comey go, well, you know, no, no, no. I was saying that, you know, it's a, there were some issues with the sub uh, subcontext and the reporting. But, you know, overall, yeah, it's just like. It's nice to see him get exposed. It's nice to see this man could could finally get his due in the public eye so people can see through this shimmering veneer of bullshit that people in the deep state are so good about putting forth and see what kind of dirt monster he is. You know, some chud living in the sewers that shouldn't have a book, should be probably uh, thrown into jail immediately, and that we shouldn't be giving our respect. We certainly shouldn't be giving them any benefit of the goddamn doubt in any way as the media complicitly wants to do every single time any report comes from the deep state. Gotta trust our spooks. So we're starting to see a little bit of sunlight shine on this. I think I said last episode, do I expect any real change from this? No, no, I do not. Although I certainly do hope that, uh, that Barr will look to do more with this, more to look to, uh, to push the boundaries. I certainly hope that Donald Trump We'll look to try to rein this in more. And uh, presuming he gets a second presidency, so, you know, another four years, which I think he definitely will, especially looking at the UK as a small mirror reflecting back our own politics. I think that uh, we could see a little bit of a shakeup in the future. You know, Eric uh, Holder had come out desperately trying to defend the deep state recently. And of course, Holder's another deep state piece of pure garbage working at the DOJ under Obama using uh, organizations to that are, that are supposed to be clandestine. Never, never look a, uh, you know, either way and has dead center down the middle, you know, keep those horse blinders on, but even holders coming out desperately trying to defend the deep state, which shows you these people are scared. They definitely are questioning what's going on. They definitely are worried that they're finally being exposed and, Maybe this is the thing that actually speeds it up. Maybe there's a little shot of, shot of uh, methamphetamines in the ass of these investigators and of the general population to wake up, start, start shaking and jittering in their seats and finally see the deep state for what it is. Ah, boy can dream, can't he? Maybe my Christmas wish. Maybe I'll open up a box under the tree this year and it'll just be James... Comey's handwritten letter apologizing and admitting to all of the things he's done, all of the sins of the FBI during his tenure and of those that he's heard about in others' tenures. And I can publish it into a little, little memoir or just, I don't know. I might just use it as a blast rag. I mean, shit, you get something like that. I might just come all over the place right away, getting something that valuable. Something I've been waiting to see for so long. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. By the way, another story involving Chris Wallace I wanted to touch on here was just that Chris Wallace, while well, I got him on uh, on tap, he called out Trump. Uh, this was past this past Wednesday, so the Wednesday before this is airing, but he called out Trump for continued attacks against the media, and he said that amounted to the most quote direct sustained assault on the freedom of the press in U.S. history. <laughs> this is at a museum event. Honoring a uh, museum, the museum's legacy. I don't know. I guess that's a thing. The museum, a museum of news, basically somewhere that people in the media can go and schlong themselves, you know, just get a little lube, 
probably, you know, instead of having in most places that you go, they've got those dispensers for people to go in and get some hand sanitizer to make sure that they don't catch anything at the museum. It's all just Jergens. It's just every wall Jergens for the news media to go in there. I doubt anybody else does. Anyway, quote, he has done everything he can to undercut the media to try and delegitimize us. Wallace said, I think his purpose is clear to raise doubts when we report critically about him and his administration that we can be trusted. Back in 2017, he tweeted something that said far more about him than it did about us. Quote, the fake news media is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. (laughs) Now, did anyone disagree that's listening to this podcast with what Trump said? And does anybody agree with Chris Wallace? I mean, we are looking at a time where Chris Wallace, at least, was calling out Comey on it. But when we're looking at the media breathlessly reporting all of this nonsense about the Pfizer report, we're looking at the media say, talk about right now about this impeachment bullshit. We saw them cover two years of Russian collusion. And Chris Wallace, and I know he's preaching to the choir here. I mean, it's not like, you know, Lou Gehrig is going to go up there and be like, oh, yes, you know what? Thanks all for coming. But by the way, uh, you know, getting cancer blows and baseball is a shitty sport. And fuck all you. Or was it leukemia, right? Yeah. Leukemia is the worst. Baseball sucks. You're all morons for coming out here. You know, this is all a sham. Of course, you're not going to say that at the event. Event for you and your kind. So naturally, Chris Wallace is not going to come out and trash the news media. But when we're looking back at history and we see the way in which Donald Trump has been reported upon, and frankly, the way that the news media is reported upon virtually everything that we've been told in regards to war, in regards to politics, in regards to any number of topics that are very dominant. I mean, look at education, anything. We're going to say, you know, Donald Trump was quite right. I mean, Every day, when we look at the actual outcomes, when the stats and and, uh, facts are revealed, Donald Trump is coming out far more right than wrong, despite the Washington Post saying that he's misled people or lied 15,000 times in four years. It's good they started counting when he got into into office, by the way, not when Obama was in there or George W. Bush was in there. No, no, no. Just, Just when Trump came in, conveniently. But of course he wants to raise doubts. Why would he not raise doubts? The American media doesn't even need Trump to call it. I mean, that's what these people don't understand. It's not that Donald Trump has created the the phrase fake news. He took something that was already out there, that was already being talked about, and said, yes, this is a thing. This is a fact. This is going on. He owned it. He didn't create it, Chris. These people not understand that the genesis of this comes far before Donald Trump ever started tweeting and talking about it. The genesis comes because people are not morons. If you're watching every day, you can see the inaccuracies. You can see the plain and clear, simple biases out there. You can see if it's not in the direct reporting, which it is on CNN and MSNBC and Fox, uh, frankly, bled over to the BBC. It's bleeding all. It, it, there's virtually no real source of news you can get anymore. Even Reuters and the AP. I remember I lost all respect for the AP just in reading their articles. And as a public relations professional, I know how you're supposed to write. I know what AP style is and dictates. I also know that as a journalist, how you're supposed to write is not by using adjectives uh, and adverbs that can really drive home a specific bias, but that is what goes on. I'll give you a quick example. It would be something along the lines of Donald Trump spoke today about the immigration issue on the border. Now, what the AP has typically started doing is Donald Trump loudly lambasted critics today. So you see the difference in reporting there. 
One makes you immediately think of a man screaming at a podium. The other says, okay, this man said this, and it lets you make your own decision using a quote. Okay, that's just an example. So for Chris Wallace not to realize this, and for the broader news media not to realize this, kind of uh, dovetails in perfectly to the next topic that I wanted to get into. And that is Boris Johnson winning the UK election uh, quite predominantly, or his party, I should say, winning in the UK quite predominantly. Uh, I mean, just absolutely blowing the opposition out of the water to kind of a, a, I mean, a historic level. So this is just a real quick uh, quote from the BBC.com article I'm looking at now. He is a majority of 80 in the House of Commons, the party's largest. And of course, it's the Tory party uh, versus the Labour Party. The Tories are the more conservative wing. They are the party that has promised Brexit. They are the party that has rejected the EU. They want uh, to stem immigration. Um, Basically, more of your Republican side. Although, I don't know, maybe they have a little bit more of a libertarian sensibility to them. As I think there's still more classic liberals in England than there are here. Uh, getting back to it, the largest party majority of 80 in the House of Commons since 1987. Now, Jeremy Corbyn has walked away with his tail between his legs. And what we're seeing quite predictably after this, right? After this blowout victory, and not just in you know conservative strongholds, not just in the, the iron-working cities, not just in the blue-collar environments where you'd say, okay, a little bit more of a populist uh, viewpoint, a little bit more of a protectionist viewpoint as far as uh, immigration goes, as far as rejecting the EU. We're not just seeing that in these blue-collar, more conservative areas. We are seeing this overall across the entirety of England or of the, of the UK, places that were labor strongholds. Uh, some of the stats I was looking at said that they lost 8% of their voter share there. Those people switched over to the Tory side. And this is predominantly tied to Brexit. This is predominantly tied to socialism. I mean, this is really a referendum on those two things in England. And as I said, this is a reflection of what's going to happen here. And I'm going to get into that. Uh, Actually, let me take a quick break and I'll be right back to get into that. And then we'll come back with some more quick hit stories as well. Oh, yeah. Once again, I'm here to tell you about Free Man Beyond the Wall. From a man, Pete Quinones, he is over there slanging Liberty, not only on his podcast, not only on uh, the website, but he also is the managing editor for the Libertarian Institute, for those of you who didn't realize that. Yes, your favorite memer, your favorite uh, guy who's always getting kicked off Facebook and Twitter constantly, is actually doing some good work, doing some fantastic uh, deep dives on topics for the Libertarian Institute, so make sure to check that out. But... He also has this great podcast. He's got great guests on there. Uh, I've been on his podcast. Mark's been on this podcast. I believe Odie's been on his podcast as well. And we're not the only ones. I mean, he's bringing in guests from all over and guests that you want to hear that are going to be leading the way for the next generation of libertarians, probably people that are going to be leading the way as far as leadership positions at the coming of 2020 convention as well. So make sure to check out Free Man Beyond the Wall. Go to freemanbeyondthewall.com and you can download it anywhere podcasts are heard. Okay, so as I left off, this latest, latest vote was a referendum on Brexit, referendum on socialism as a whole. 
England has seen what socialism does. Now, even though they've got the NHS, the national healthcare system over there, which I'm supposed to believe that a lot of Britons uh, still hold in high regard, despite all of the protests that have been going on, despite people literally marching in the streets because the NHS is falling apart, because they have such low cancer survival rates, because of the, t- the wait times that exist over there. A lot of Britons, especially on the left, still say, oh, well, socialized medicine is the best. But they don't want socialized everything. They don't want to see Britain roll over on its back and become one of the socialist countries that they have fought against in the past, tooth and nail, and which they have seen the history play out of and seen the, the, the detriment that happens to these societies when socialism is allowed to run rampant. So it's not the racism, it's not the uh, it's not anti-immigration rhetoric. It's not simply that they they hate the uh, the ability for people to cross borders easily. It's a fear of autonomy, and I think we can all understand that. I mean, you want to be able to control your person, your destiny, what you do with your money, and if you can't control it, you want to be able to have a voice in at least some way to say this is not right. Now, the Labour Party in the UK had said, again, you know, you'll see any number of this. And after Boris Johnson got this massive majority, too, you saw all of these lefty jerk-offs saying, oh, this is this is uh, purely racism. We've let the racists and the bigots win. How dare we? Oh, I'm ashamed. This is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the UK. When it has nothing to do with racism, especially in Europe, right? You've got countries that are nestled on top of one another. And these countries have developed such specific identities over these decades and just decades, centuries, eons of living next to each other, of warring with each other, but also of trading with each other, developing individual cultures and then trading between those cultures that they don't want to see their culture destroyed. They don't want to see a mass immigration wave come through that they cannot do anything about because the EU controls the mandates for that. The EU's latest proposition which I discussed several episodes ago, and I'll try to find it uh, if I can, if I have fucking time recording three podcasts today. But the EU's latest referendum that they said, okay, well, here's the the plans for the future. Here's the vision. Basically makes it so that you can't decide what your own tariffs are, your own taxes are, can't decide who's coming in and out of the country. You can't decide to to leave or to to, uh, question EU verdicts. Otherwise, you'll be penalized. This is on top of any number of things. You can't decide what what produce you want to allow or disallow. You can't export certain types of cheeses you want. All of these things add up to paint a very, very distinct picture that's crystal clear in regards to the elites that are actually running the EU, who you have not elected. These people are not elected by the people of Britain. These people are named to these positions. You can't get them out once they're in. Again, this is like a shadow government that controls the European continent. But when you look at that, you say, so essentially, by staying in this organization, we are giving up any semblance of autonomy and every any semblance of choice. And when we tried to leave, you all decided that we were to be branded as racist, that we were to be branded as outcasts. And then the European Union threatened them with leaving and saying, well, if you do that, then we're going to go out of our way to make sure that you're destroyed. What a lovely group of people. Well, well we should definitely stay then. I mean, my God. It's like, you know, if you're a battered wife and your husband and you say, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. You keep beating me. And he goes, hey, you better not leave or I'll beat you even worse. Is that something that 
typically goes over well, or is that exactly what we say is a criminal act and is why we have so many women's shelters exist to help these people escape? And now I predicted that Brexit would not, would result in England being even more fruitful, even more economically prosperous, and I think that's going to come to, to, uh, to fruition. We already saw that Trump is promising a fantastic trade deal, and honestly, England's going to be looking for a wonderful trade deal. Now, granted, Trump's also talking about putting tariffs on uh, Irish whiskey and all sorts of other stupid horse shit. But I have to think that to keep the uh, unity strong between those nations and also to stick it to the EU, who we know that Trump doesn't enjoy, Britain will find a very willing and able trade partner here in the United States, especially with the shackles coming off of the EU regulations, which have made so many things so difficult to get and to trade with back and to, you know, to, to, deal with the taxes and the regulations and the tariffs and all these other things that they've placed in the way of these barriers to free trade. Well, you can see why everyday Britain said enough of this bullshit. We want to be able to go our own way. And in fact, I appreciate the Liberty instincts, you know, again, classic liberals over in the UK who have seen this and said, you know, the more you people tell us that we're wrong, the more you tell us that we're assholes, the more you threaten us, the more it makes us want to go. And just like with the media, as I said earlier, not realizing that what they're saying is having a counterproductive uh, effect on the people that they think are already in their constituents' base, the same things happened in the in Brexit with the UK because the media was overwhelmingly in favor of staying in the EU because, again, they are members of the elite who are not affected in the way that the common people are by all the regulations that exist in the EU. They want to be able to flip to uh, to Nice and they want to be able to flip over to any of the other beautiful locations there and, uh, and not have to worry about it. But we're seeing the same thing happening in the UK or in the US, excuse me. Because Britain, you know, the politics do mirror themselves fairly closely. They're, of course, a little bit more socialist than we are. But we're seeing the same thing play out in that Donald Trump is definitively going to be reelected. Even if they impeach him, it's never going to pass the Senate and he will still be reelected. And the media can't seem to understand that everything they've been doing has bias. Everything that they've been doing is pushing Americans away and trying to have an everyday Americans that haven't just completely bought in hook, line and sinker to the Trump derangement syndrome narrative or to the, uh, I don't know, God guns. And what's the other thing? Gold God of guns, uh, way of living in the, uh, the true, deep country who are uh, buying into everything Fox news says everybody else is looking for alternative sources. Everybody else is fleeing them in droves. I mean, CNN just had record low viewership, but yet they want to tell us that Donald Trump is the problem and it's not their reporting. And they want to tell us that we're all racists and that we're all sexist and we're all bigots and we're all assholes and we're all deplorable. Despite the fact that things have never been better for virtually anybody. The advances of technology, the advances of availability and free trade, well, very restricted trade, but still, the advent of Amazon, which I had three different assholes tell me, Amazon paid no tax, did you know that? And of course, I decided to let it slide for the time being, because I was on a work call. <laughs> so I can't, can't go rip into my client uh, for staying that, or my boss. But... Had multiple people tell me that Amazon paid no tax, even though Amazon paid an enormous amount of taxes in various ways uh, and has helped any number of people save 
thousands and thousands of dollars every year by being able to get cheap, plentiful products delivered to their doorsteps in just a couple of days. But we see all of these people tell us that, you know, these things are wrong and that the way we're living is wrong and that things have to change, that we need socialism, that we need radical racial uh, reconstruction, and that we have to have reparations. We have to have all these things. And the everyday American goes, enough. I just want to hear the facts. I just want to be able to vote for what's best for my family. And I don't want to be told that I'm a horrible piece of shit for doing it. And definitively, Donald Trump will be reelected. You saw Boris Johnson get in there with a majority that no one saw coming. Just like Donald Trump, the media never saw it coming. And yet, Boris Johnson, this crazy-haired, lunatic-looking motherfucker, is now the most powerful politician in the UK and looks to be leading a very swift Brexit on the back of an overwhelming victory. You will see the same here in the United States with Donald Trump. Just like the last time the media didn't see it coming, you're going to see an even bigger majority vote for Donald Trump. He will actually get a true majority this time. So the Democrats can't even whine about the Electoral College. You will see more blacks vote for him. You will see more Latinos vote for him. You will see more women vote for him. You will see more men vote for him. There's no doubt about this. People are going to say enough. And even if they don't love Donald Trump, they hate everything that's being told to them from the other side and the socialist route that these people are going on. I mean, I think the third most po- most popular issue right now when they did the polling is the, the deficit or most worrisome issue. People are actually worried about the deficit. And you've got all of these Democratic candidates running out there. Nobody's talking about the war state except maybe Tulsi Gabbard and Cory Booker to an extent. Everybody's promising massive spending programs. And they just, by the way, they just, by the way, put forth another $1.4 trillion spending bill, which, of course, has all these little bullshit bits for the wall and bullshit bits for, uh, God, what was it? Election interference, you know, anti-election interference. They put $427 million in this latest budget to stop election interference, despite the fact that there is no election interference last time, negligible effect. Every study that's been done on the quote election interference that theoretically occurred by Russians buying fucking Facebook ads, every study that has been done has resulted in them concluding it had zero effect. $427 million in this latest $1.4 trillion budget. Then Donald Trump signing it off, by the way, after promising he would not sign another budget. Last one was 1.3 billion. Now it's one point or 1.3 trillion. Now it's 1.4 trillion. So Donald Trump complicit in that bullshit as well. But I can promise you that Donald Trump at least is going to play the, I'm going to rein in the spending card and the Democrats can't exactly provide a counterpoint to that because all they want to do is continue with the wars. No one's talking about it. As I said, except for Tulsi and Cory Booker. And they, on top of that, want to add in massive Medicare bills. They want to add in massive education and global warming and all these other pie in the sky are never in a million years going to work effectively plans that will add trillions upon trillions of dollars to the, to the federal deficit. <sighs> Unbelievable that people can't see that they're going down the wrong, wrong uh, path here. The Democrats just, I, I've, I've never seen a blinder group of people in my entire life. <laughs> 
And I can't even say much about the GOP because I just don't hear much about the GOP anymore. You know, it's all focused on Donald Trump's tweets and this impeachment bullshit. I couldn't even tell you what many people in the GOP have put forth because it's not $32 trillion spending bills that just get laughed out of the room. They don't, they don't even get reported on anymore because the Democratic press only reports on impeachment now and ignores every other topic that I might care about and which I might side with them on. How does that help anybody? Hmm. Like, here's an example. Here's one that the GOP and the Democrats should both be complaining about. Uh, you know, anybody on the GOP side that actually gives a fuck about protecting your personal liberties, your, you know, your, your actually constitutionally protected liberties outside of the Second Amendment. How about this one? Feds just reaped 15,000 cell phones. Reaped, not raped by you. We're not, we're not tech perverts here. This is from an Ars Technica article. Federal investigators trying to solve an arson case in Wisconsin scooped up location history for 1,500 phones that happened to be in the area. And this area was about 30,000 meters or one Milwaukee City block worth of data. They got everyone's locations. They got uh, people that they got their emails. They got their private names. They got their phone numbers. They got uh, location services and data from the apps that they were using. And this is to search for people that would be of interest to their investigation. 1,500 people's worth of data, or 1,500 people worth of data from Google. Google turns this information over. And we're to believe that, by the way, the cops, these pristine gentlemen and ladies, right, that never do anything wrong, that haven't been known to be vastly corrupt on a local, state, and federal level, to be, to be trusted with our data. Never mind that we've seen time and time again that anytime they have this data, they've been keeping it, they've been using it for alternative purposes. Some people have been stalking their ex-girlfriends with it. But not only that, they're supposedly getting this data just for this one investigation. We're not supposed to believe that when they have access to this, they're not going to flag people for certain suspicious actions. They're not going to use it for other investigations. They're not going to be saving it and forwarding it to their friends and saying, hey, by the way, check this out for investigation into, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z that you got going on the side. It's an absolute abuse. 1,500 people. But no one's talking about that. No one on the left, no one on the right. Uh, quick hitter stories now. I'm going to bang them out in quick succession here because I got to eat and then do this other podcast. So uh, Rashida Tlaib, known moron, has tweeted out a predictable response to the latest shooting that happened in New Jersey or in uh, Jersey City, an anti-Semitic attack, which took place at the hands of what people are saying are black Hebrew Israelites. Of course, Rashida Tlaib didn't know that at the time, I guess, because she tweeted out, this is heartbreaking period, white supremacy kills, and then linked to a story about two around uh, Moshe, Moshe Deutsch, uh, who was a 24-year-old scholar and activist uh, of the, the Hasidic Jewish community, Mindy Ferenc, and Miguel Douglas. Those three people were killed by assailants David Anderson and Francine Graham, who had both expressed interest in the black Hebrew Israelites. However, there were no formal links to the organization. But it's just nice to see People like Rashida Tlaib, who, by the way, or Tlaib, Tlaib? I don't know how to say her goddamn last name. But we get to see who the real racists are, who immediately jumped to conclusions like, oh, clearly, these are white supremacists. This had to be a white person because they killed Jewish people. And by the way, a lot of Jewish people are also pretty much white guys. So I don't know. That's kind of white on white crime. But I understand the whole Nazi thing, right? So immediately, she jumps to the conclusion this had to be a white guy that hated the Jews and not people of color. Anyway, who was the real racist? 
Moving on. Next story. Michelle Obama is talking about her friendship with George W. Bush and says, quote, our values are the same. (laughs) Isn't that adorable? And it really brings to the forefront what values they do share. Of course, those values are expanding government. Those values are killing and jailing Americans and suspending habeas corpus. Of course, we know that Obama was a big fan of being able to take people away, black bagging them, taking them to black sites, kept Guantanamo Bay open after he said he was going to shut it. Of course, Guantanamo Bay, you know Guantanamo Bay, creation by George W. Bush, or at least really favored by George W. Bush. He wasn't alive when they actually created it. I think that was back in the 40s. As a way to indefinitely detain prisoners in the, quote, war on terror. Now, Obama took that, ran with it, never closed it, continued to expand the war on terror, including to domestic Americans, in uh, labeling them as enemy combatants, which, of course, is a very vague and broadly undefined term, which could mean really anything, and also favored killing American citizens without you know, actually even getting any sort of jewelry trial for them, including children. So, yes, you know, they they do share a lot in common, these two. They liked also expanding, you know, the overall wars. They like to abuse their executive privilege. Now, really, that was a good abuse of executive privilege, right? Because they use their powers to go to war. You know, George W. Bush took us into Iraq, even though there were no WMDs. The media helped lie us into that war. Uh, he decided that, no, it's, uh, it's under his purview to go to war. So, Abused that executive power, but nobody said shit. He wasn't impeached. Then Obama decided that he wanted to expand that, you know, expand into Afghanistan, expand in Africa, expand in Syria, expand in Libya, completely uh, undermine Libya, end up with the dictator slash leader of Libya being killed. And now there's a thriving slave market there. Just really, you know, it's hard to knock people for finding friendship based on really sound principles and sound values. So, Good job, Michelle. Good job, George W. Bush. You guys keep on being friends. Keep on skipping down the blood-soaked fucking sidewalks that you two have created, along with your scumbag spouses over the past 16 years while you had the reins. And, uh, you know, don't let any of us question that friendship or dare to think about how the elites really are just on the same team and really are just at working at the behest of other powers that be that have huge financial interests that clearly trump human life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh, by the way, though, but Barack Obama, um, you know, he wanted to make sure to come out and add his two cents by saying in an interview that women are indisputably better than men and should lead every country. So perhaps he's hoping that Michelle Obama can take over and continue George W. Bush and Barack's legacy of murder, torture, and basic trampling of the rights of citizens here and abroad. And if that doesn't get you on Santa's nice list, well, hell, man, I don't know what does. But at least he can fucking kowtow to the PC bullshit left by pretending that women are somehow indisputably better than men and not simply equals. It's like, that's the thing. it's not good enough to say that people are equal now, right? If you're a fucking cuck like Obama, you got to bend over and really say that, oh, women are indisputably better than men. Okay, Barack, cool. I don't even think your wife is a woman. Just my two cents. I think she's actually a Bigfoot. Shaved Bigfoot. Oh, last thing. Actually, not last thing. A couple more things here. A quarter of children treated at transgender clinics may just be autistic, a new study finds. 
Again, raising questions about all of the hoopla that's going on around transgender youth, about people being trotting their children into clinics, taking them at their word when they're three years old, saying that they don't think that they're a boy anymore, that they want to be a girl, and then essentially neutering those children for the rest of their lives based upon a statement by a child whose brain is barely even, I don't even know. It's like, like eating an orange that tastes like a lemon. That brain's not done, man. That brain ain't ripe. Give it a couple of knocks like a watermelon to the supermarket. Jesus. But this is coming after the NHS's flagship gender identity development service told Sky News that they feared young people were being overdiagnosed and then overmedicalized. Quote, we fear that we have a front row seat to a medical scandal. Yeah, no shit. The Daily Mail reported Australian doctors in the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders stated that, quote, the few studies employing diagnostic criteria for ASD suggest a prevalence of 6 to 26 percent in transgender populations. Notably, they added, this was higher than the general population, but no different than individuals attending psychiatric clinics. They also quoted definitive findings from a U.S. study of 300,000 children discovered those with autism were over four times as likely to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So, ah, a lot of these children that are latching onto a topic, because, you know, children with autism often have a, a penchant for latching onto one idea. They can become easily obsessed with that idea. Well, these children might simply have been latching onto this idea based on, <coughs> based on what could be a very slight provocation, but then they become obsessed with it. And now this child is convinced that he or she is the opposite sex. The parents, because this is 2019 or maybe even 2015 when this shit started, they decide that, well, you know, we can't go against our child's wishes, even though this child has autism and is, you know, four years old. We need to go ahead and make sure that this kid lives his or her life as the opposite sex. We need to go ahead and have these treatments. We need to go ahead and potentially ruin this child's life and vastly increase their chances of suicide because transgenders, of course, are more likely to be suicidal. Another study published in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine found 80% of gender minority students report having mental health problems, nearly double the rate of typical students. Now, there is, of course, some pushback on that because there was the American College of Pediatricians, who people are saying is a very, you know, really super conservative right wing. They had condemned general classification in children because they found that it was, uh, well, they compared it to child abuse. However, when we're seeing more studies come out, and this is what I had said earlier and that many people have said is that this is an issue that was not widely studied because this is such a new thing, right? If we only have this really come to the forefront of public topic of opinion of research. We're really still seeing the outcomes for children that are supposedly transgender. And this is going back 10 years. How the fuck can we be so confident in saying, well, you know, a child should get hormone therapy. A child should be dressed as a boy. A child should be dressed as a girl. We have to make sure that you know, whatever they say, just go along with that. We shouldn't take them in and have a study done that. We shouldn't take them to a psychiatrist and say, Hey, you know, let's talk this through that. We shouldn't question that, that we shouldn't give it some time. Was anybody surprised at this fucking outcome? Is anybody surprised that this, these cracks in this facade? Now, that being said, if your child really is transgender, then go ahead and change sexes. I don't give a fuck. But stop forcing this on children that don't need it and maybe question when your child says, hey, you know, I might not be this or I might be that. Just question it. 
You should question everything just out of respect for yourself and out of your child, out of basic human decency. It's not like you're going on Instagram and getting likes on it because your fucking kids didn't dress. This is your child's future. So good, more studies, more. We need more mainstream coverage of this shit before we can make any sort of real push, but at least it's starting to come back around to sanity. All right, wrap it up. And speaking of autistic children, Greta Thunberg, uh, Thunberg, who uh, I am told is definitely on the autism spectrum, she has gotten some flack, and rightly so, because she was on a German railway, and she took a picture of herself, or one of her fucking crony handlers took a picture of her. But they're sitting on the floor next to her bags on a train, and she's sitting there, and she tweets out, Traveling on overcrowded trains through Germany, and I'm finally on my way home. So people took that and they go, oh my God, the overcrowding. Oh, it's crazy. It's horrible. And, and it's supposed to make her humanize, right? Like she's not this little elitist uh, scamp running around who's going on private yachts, who's going in first class everywhere, who's flying on private airplanes, which she is, all of these things. This woman has lived a, the life of a princess while causing untold misery for people should any of her policies uh, actually get pushed through that she wants to be uh, enacted by governments across the world. So the rail company first said, oh, we're so sorry for these overcrowded trains through Germany. And I guess this is tying into some overall pitch about the human population being too high for the earth, which it's not, <laughs> which it's fucking not. So Deutsche Bahn initially released a statement said, that said they, quote, continue working hard on getting more trains, connections, and seats. And they thanked her for supporting the company's battle against climate change. <laughs> and that the train she had been using was running 100% on eco-friendly energy. Now, of course, that's probably more due to market conditions than a true penchant for helping the environment. Uh, because Germany, of course, forces people to use vastly more expensive renewable energies. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. And then they said uh, they looked through the travel histories and looked at her claims and looked at the passengers that she was with and other people in her group and realized that, oh, you know what? Actually, she hasn't been sitting on the floor this whole time. She actually sat in first class between Kassel and Hamburg, two cities in Germany, and that other members of her team were already sitting in first class from Frankfurt onwards. So they tweeted or made a statement. It would have been even nicer if you had also reported how friendly and competently our team served you at your seat in first class. And then she, then of course, Thurnbrook had to walk it back. <laughs> Overcrowded trains is a great sign because it means the demand for train travel is high. She tweeted. So again, this check is so full of shit. She is a liar. Her, her, every, her handlers are liars. She's being used. You know that they just simply said, Greta, sit on the ground. We want to tweet this out while we're here. And this girl just, she goes along with it. They brainwashed her into believing this lie. They brainwashed her into thinking that the world is going to end. And as we already discussed, people with autism are more easily latching. They, they latch onto idea form more easily than other people. So this could be something where they simply put this idea in her mind, pushed it and pushed it and ran with it. She now is obsessed with it. And so anything they tell her to do, all they have to do, oh, Greta, it's for, you know, it's for the environment. She's going to say, sure. She's going to complicitly lie down and go along with it, even if she knows that she's lying, even if she knows that she's been sitting in first class. This is despicable what these people are doing. 
And yet we're seeing more murals being pointed to this, this chick. We're seeing her listed as Times Person of the Year, most influential person of the year. This little cool, this little tool of the uh, the climate sect. Makes me sick, man. Okay, by the way, I'm cutting this in because I remember during our other shows we're recording tonight, including our bonus show, uh, that I promised you guys a Christmas carol, and I'm going to deliver on that. But I do want to say this real quick. Guys, we put an unbelievable amount of effort into this show. You hear my voice right now. I, I sound like this because I've recorded this show. I've recorded Mark's show. I've recorded my show again. I've recorded a bonus show. I wrote Christmas carols for this, this show, which, by the way, do not miss next week's show for ELL. This is more effort than most podcasts put into a goddamn year. Every week in the past 15 weeks, I have recorded, well, I can't say every week, but the amount of bonus content we put out for people that join our Patreon is sick. It's unbelievable. We've got thousands of listeners, yet we only have roughly 10% of you giving us a little money. And I know we're putting out for free, but guys, you're not going to find a better value. And honestly, next year for the Lions of Liberty is make or break. It's make or break for us. Because we put in so much time, so much thought, so much effort, so much creativity into this show that I get I get a kid on the way. You know, I I, I got other things I gotta do. And and if you guys aren't showing me that you appreciate what I'm doing, what we're doing, all of us, the amount of time and the amount of effort, we're going to have to do something different. I'm not saying Lines of Liberty is going away. It definitely is not because we didn't do this show to make money. But I'm saying it's going to be a little different. So I'm begging you, a Christmas present to us, please. Even if it's a one-time donation, show us that you care. Show us you give a shit, man. I mean, Christ, you could join for $2 a month in our Patreon just to get in the forum. Five bucks a month, and you get access to all of our bonus content that we just spend an unbelievable amount of time on every goddamn week. This, like I said, you know, 15 weeks, I didn't go into detail, but this is like my high time, right? I do Do Nothing Man, my libertarian superhero. I've had to like, put that in the back burner because I'm doing three different bonus shows a week on top of VLL guys, three bonus shows a week on top of VLL. I'm asking you, please show us that you fucking care. All right. Time for a Christmas Carol. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Dangerous rates roasting on an open fire Inflation nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by the bankers And bailouts dressed up like you can't know Mix, which is bullshit Everybody knows that a bailout and some quantitative easing 
will help to make the lights bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find their future is in a blight. They know a crash is on its way They've loaded lots of toys and goodies on layaway And every mother's child is gonna know That interest increases can really blow So I'm offering this simple phrase Two kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Austrian economics To you And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Austrian economics Austrian economics and remember, the free market has raised more people out of poverty than any other system in the history of the world. All right, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Uh, remember, listen to Mark Clay on Mondays, especially this upcoming Monday. We're going to the naughty and nice. We'll check that out. John Odie Odermatt on Felony Fridays. I will be with John on his show uh, for Christmas week. We're going to be doing a show with uh, a... Uh, friend of ours from ammo.com is going to come on do a little is it a crime we'll see how many we can make that are ammo and guns related for that fun uh fun time and yeah that's all i got to say to you right now so from me brian mcwilliams from the lions of liberty and from electric liberty land always stay plugged into liberty